Hey everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. We are talking about kindness. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about starting in, you know, first of the year, the idea of sowing the seed of the word of God into the good soil. It has to be the good soil of our heart in order for it to produce things, something that God can only produce. So we've been looking at idea, idea of sowing what the Apostle Paul talked about in Galatians, the, the fruit of the Spirit, and we looked at love and joy and peace and patience, and now we're looking at the idea of sowing kindness, sowing kindness, and I can't think of a better time uh, in, this, in this time right now, in our culture right now, in the season right now, that we ought to, in this room especially, if you're watching online as well, that we ought to be exhibiting immense amount of kindness. We should be, we should be the kindest people in the entire world. Why? Because our God was kind to us. We looked at a few weeks ago how kindness and truth met together And when they met, they did something that only kindness and truth can do. And that is to atone, to pay the debt for our sins, for our iniquities. And so we have experienced, we have experienced that kind of kindness from God. Therefore, as a result of that kindness that we've experienced from God, we ought to exhibit that kindness to every single person Every single person, regardless if they believe what you believe, think how you think, see the world how you see the world, what should be true about us. Are you with me? Are you with me at home? What should be true about us is that we should be kind. That should be the the truth about us. So there's this woman that we looked at last week. We looked at her story written by a guy by the name of Luke. Luke was a doctor, and Luke recorded uh, and gathered evidence of the, the facts of, of the resurrection of Jesus and the beginning uh, of, of the church. And so Luke writes the Gospel of Luke. He also wrote the book of Acts. And so Luke writes this story about this particular woman, and we're introduced to her. She goes by two names. She goes by Tabitha, which was her Jewish name, which was her Aramaic, which was what they spoke. Many of the Jews spoke Aramaic. That was what they called her. It was her Aramaic name of Tabitha. But she was also known by uh, some other citizens in Joppa, where she lived in Joppa, by the, by the name of Dorcas. I don't recommend that you have a name your kids Dorcas. I hope that you don't. Uh, aren't your name isn't Dorcas? I would feel terrible about that. Uh, but and, and and certainly we don't want anybody to call you a Dorcas. Okay, so that's so she was also known by the name of Dorcas, which was her Greek name, which tells us some things. And Luke wanted us to know some things about her that she was friends to everyone. She was friends to everyone. Everyone loved her, whether they were Jews who spoke Aramaic or whether they were Greeks, whether they were lower class Jews or upper class intellectual Greeks, 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 Greeks. Everybody loved her. Everybody loved her. Some called her Tabitha. Some called her Dorcas. But she was known in one way by all 
people. And here's what she was known as. Now, this is her epitaph. Why? Because she died. And so she must have been maybe young. It was maybe an untimely situation for her. And so she dies. And this crushed this church in Joppa to the point where they went to go and find Peter. They heard that Peter was close by in, in a city called Lydda. And so they went to go find Peter and, and to ask Peter to come back with them and where the, she was you know, being laid to rest in this, uh, in this upper room in the city of Joppa. But her, what she was known for with everyone, whether Jews or Greeks or whatever nationality they were, she was known for this, that she was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity continually. That was what she was known for. That was, at the end of the day, if, if there was a, it was a sentence that, that described who Tabitha was uh, or who Dorcas was to everyone, she was described as somebody who was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity continually. I think, I think that Luke wrote that because he wanted you and I, 2,000 years later, to, to, to want that to be our description as well. Whatever your name is, whatever people call you, the description at the end of the day for you and for me ought to be, hey, I want to be known as someone who is abounding with deeds of kindness and charity continually. Isn't that what ought to be our ambition? I, I, I think that when you're dead and your tombstone reads something, your name, that that is what it is should or could read. I think that's what we would all desire. And so why that was the case for her was a couple things we looked at last week, so I'll catch you up if you weren't uh, with us last week or weren't able to you know, watch or listen on, online. Is one of the things was that she, more, more, than, more than the fact that she was known as being Tabitha or more than the fact that she was known as being Dorcas, that her kindness was the fact, that her kindness was seen because it's what disciples do, that she was known more as a disciple than she was by any name that she went by. And I, and I think that's where it ought to begin with us. It, it ought to begin with us saying, you know what? I'm a, I'm a Jesus follower. I'm a, I'm a Jesus follower before anything else. I'm a Jesus follower before I'm a Democrat. I'm a Jesus follower before I'm a Republican. I'm a Jesus follower before I'm this or that. Whatever your, your, your point of view is, or whatever your belief system is, or whatever your faith is, that I'm a Jesus follower before I'm a Baptist. I'm a Jesus follower before I'm a Catholic. Our ambition ought to be, I'm a Jesus follower before anything else. When we can get that point of view, then we're going to exhibit kindness. And kindness is going to be seen in us. If, if our political views become more important, if our belief systems become more important, if our religion becomes more important, if our perspective becomes more important, then that's when kindness isn't seen. But when we decide, hey, I'm a disciple of Jesus, then that's when kindness is seen. That's what she was first and foremost. The other thing we talked about was kindness simply does not delay because it's God-directed. It's God-directed. Kindness doesn't delay. It, it, it acts. It moves. And, and, and her names, Tabitha and Dorcas, meant gazelle, which was an animal that described swiftness. And she was quick. She was swift. She moved quick to meeting needs. And that's what kindness, kindness does. Kindness simply does not delay because it's, she knew 
And I hope you know that it's always God directed. And then the third thought that we came around last week was this. Kindness is standing with people in their distress. And that's what she did. She stood with people in their difficulties. She stood with people, no matter who they were, no matter what they believed, no matter what their point of view was, no matter what their orientation was, no matter how, you know, what, their, what their faith was, was in. She stood with people in their need. And why do we know that? We know that because that when she was laying in that upper room and Peter was in that upper room, that there was some widows with Peter. And those widows were weeping. Why? Because they lost somebody that they loved. But they were also doing something that Luke records, that they were showing their tunics and their garments that she made when she was with them. Which James would say, you know what pure religion is? Pure religion is, is people that, that go and help and show care and kindness to those, and he gives an example, to those that are orphans and to those that are widows. James said, this is what pure religion looks like. This is what real faith looks like. This is what true Christianity discipleship looks like. It is showing kindness to those who were considered outcasts, who were considered on the fringe of the things of God. And she showed kindness. As a matter of fact, what she was doing, she was sowing kindness. She was sowing kindness. And ultimately, that's what we ought to be doing. Sowing kindness. You know what she was literally doing and personally doing? She was sowing kindness. Because she was making these garments for these widows who lost their spouses and she was doing it personally and it was tangible and it was personal and when you and I exhibit kindness you can eat, you we are sowing kindness and for Tabitha she was literally sowing kindness and for you it, it may be personal and tangible to any particular person but what you're doing is you're sowing the seed of kindness and it will produce kindness in, in and through you, which is something that we ought to be known for. We ought to be abounding, abounding in kindness and charity, and we ought to be doing it continually. Now, that's where we left off in the story. Let's pick up the story from there. Here's where we were going to pick it up. In Acts 9, 40, he says, But Peter sent them all out. Who? The widows, <laughs> the widows, the widows that were crying, the widows that were showing him what she made personally for them. Peter's like, you need to go. You need to go now. And so then what he, do, what he does, I think, is so important, so important, so important. He sent them out, and he knelt down, and he prayed. I think, and here's, here's the point for, the, for pausing here. Here's the point. Kindness is power source. Kindness is power source. Kindness is power source and posture is being knelt down. Kindness is power source and kindness is posture is being knelt down. Now here's what I'm trying to say. Here's what I'm saying. Our source for kindness is not based on anything that you and I can manufacture. You and I can be kind until we get hungry, until we get tired, until we get tired of being nagged. 
You and I can only have kindness until some sort of external circumstance messes with our kindness filter. Right? Am I right? From home, right? Yes. Our power source from actual kindness and long-term kindness and, and the fruit of kindness that, can, that needs to be produced from us that isn't based on external circumstances, that isn't based on situations, our power source for that is prayer, is prayer. And the posture and the correct posture is being knelt down. That I believe that what we need, and just like your devices, your phone devices and your tablets and your computers and your televisions and anything technological, you need that power source, don't you? You need that power source. You need to be able to plug that thing in, you know, periodically. You need to be able to plug that thing in every single night in order for it to get the recharge that it needs. That's what prayer does for us. And the posture ought to be being knelt down. The posture ought to be that way. Here's why this is important because in, in, in psychiatrists, and, and I use, often use this when I meet with couples that want to get married and I take them through these premarital counseling uh, things. And um, I know because I'm Mr. Marriage and I have my marriage is awesome and, and every marriage should be like my marriage. No, no, no. It, is, it comes with the job. And so uh, when I sit down with couples, I'll say, you know what? You know, and I'll, and I'll admit it. You know what the biggest problem that I have? The biggest problem that I have, I have a lot of problems, but the biggest is communication. Communication is a problem. So here's what professionals teach about communication, okay? And here's what, here's what I'll share with couples, and, and maybe you've probably heard this before. But when it comes to communication, 7% of our communication are our words spoken. Only 7%. Like what we actually say is only 7%. And then professionals will say this, 38% is the tone of our voice. And couples, you know this, you know this. How many times have you said something and your spouse was like, well, I know what you said, but I don't like your tone. How many of you ever felt that? I know what you said, but I don't like the tone in which you say it. Well, according to the professional counselors, they say, that's, man, that's a lot. That's 38% of communication is, is your tone. What you actually say is 7%. What you, how your tone is 38%. But look what they say. Look what they say. Our body language, 55%. 55%. Now, I've been doing this for a while. And don't, don't change your posture. Don't change anything. And, and I think I gave somebody a complex at the 9 o'clock. But I can oftentimes tell how I'm doing. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to have a tone about it. I can see it in your body language. I, I can see. I, don't, don't move. Don't move. And, and I'm not because I started like saying like different postures and different body languages that communicate different things. So I won't do that to you right now. But don't you, don't you know like when you have a certain body language or when you see somebody that has a certain body language, even though they may even say one thing, even though they may even get their tone right, but their body language is saying something altogether different. 
It's because it's a big part of communication. And here's what the scripture will oftentimes teach when it comes to prayer. Now, I think that the scripture teaches about prayer that we always should be praying. Always pray. Pray continually. Pray continually. That our worship should be unbroken. That whatever you're doing, whether you're in a church building or, you know, at home or out in a restaurant, that our worship should always be happening. The way that we exalt God and the way that we make much of Jesus, that always should be happening. But I think that there should be a time, a should be a time, if you're able, that your posture and the way that you communicate to God should be down on your knees. God, I'm humbling myself before you. God, I'm humbling myself. Now, God, here's the thing. God doesn't need to see that you're bending your knees because God already sees your heart, right? He already knows. Before you bend your knee, he already knows that you're bending your heart. But I think that posture, and the, and the scripture just teaches about posture, and it teaches even, not just even knees down, but even face down. That people would come before God just face to the floor. And I think that there's a posture and there's a power to exhibiting abounding kindness and charity and being able to do that continually. Not just some of the time, not just part of the time, not just a little bit of the time, not just the majority of the time, but continually being able to exhibit kindness because that's what we should be about. That our posture, our posture and our prayer is the power that we need to exhibit that kind of kindness. And Peter, he didn't walk into the room. Peter, the dude that walked on water. Peter, the guy that spent time with Jesus. Peter, that saw thousands of people come to know Christ by, the, by his words, walked into that room, ushered the widows out of the room, and he got on his knees and he humbled himself before the Lord and said, God, there's a need here. And only you, only you, only you can meet it. You see that posture? God, I, I'm a nobody. Peter, who walked on water. Peter, who was a part of Jesus' disciples. Peter, who God used in a powerful way just a few days prior to that, walked in that room by himself, and he bent down on his knees and said, God, only you can do this. You see it? It's the power source. I don't care who you think you are. I don't care how much you've achieved or accomplished or how intelligent that you are or how close you are with God. I would venture to say that Peter was closer. Yet Peter got down and said, God, you meet this need. You meet this need. Church, if you're watching, it's our power source. It's our power source. Kindness left to our own devices is fickle. It's temporary. And circumstances will always change it. But when you sow kindness... When you sow kindness and you let the power of prayer and the posture of that prayer, it will give you what you need to be abounding in kindness, just like 
Tabitha. Rest of the verse says this. The birds agree. The rest of the verse says this. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. So much detail by Luke. I love it. Just so much detail. She opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. But it's interesting in, in this is, is, is this phrase right here. Tabitha, arise, what, what he said. And what he said is, is this in Aramaic. He said her, her name, Tabitha, which is her name in, in Aramaic, Tabitha, arise. But the, the, the word arise is, is this. So what he was saying, what Peter said in, his, in, in, the, in that language was Tabitha, kum. Tabitha, kum. Tabitha, kum. Tabitha, get up. Tabitha, arise. That's what he said. Now, what's interesting about this, and maybe this is interesting for me and not for you, is that Jesus had a similar situation and, and just by one letter said almost the exact same thing. As a matter of fact, Jesus walks into this house where this little 12-year-old girl was dead and he told the people in the home, her parents and, and family and friends that were there just mourning over the loss of this 12-year-old, she's not dead, she's only asleep. She's not dead, she's only asleep. And you know how they responded to that when he told them that? Look what he says. Look at, look at Mark says, they began laughing at him. They began laughing at him. Why were they laughing at Jesus? Because Jesus told them, she's not dead, she's just asleep. And they're like, nope, we saw her take her last breath, she's dead, she's not here. You're kind of being insensitive by saying that she's not dead, she's only asleep. But they were like, this is like, they were laughing at him, it was so uncomfortable. But putting them all out, so Jesus said, you all need to go, just like Peter sent the widows out. Putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Then look at Mark writes. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, and this is what Mark writes, this is not what I inserted, this is what Mark writes. Talitha, Talitha, kum. Talitha, kum. And then Mark says, which translated means, little girl, I say to you, get up. So Mark is like, I just want you to see what Jesus actually said and the language that Jesus used, that Jesus was speaking their language. And he says, Talitha, kum. Talitha, kum. Now, back to Acts 9, back to Acts 9. So it goes on. Luke gives some more details. And he gave her his hand. Tabitha took Peter's hand and raised her up. And calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. Now, here's the point. Here's the point. Stay with me. Here's the point. Kindness is a sign in you that death is defeated. That's the point. Kindness in us must be a sign that death has been defeated in you. 
Jesus, when Jesus walked into that house and said, she's not dead, she's asleep. Jesus was foreshadowing the reality for those of us that are going to put their faith in him. Because here's the, here's the reality. The reality is that death for us is just like sleep because it's only temporary. Right? You fell asleep at some point last night. You woke up this morning. It was temporary. Death for a Jesus follower is the same. You die, actually die, but it's only temporary. Why? Because through Jesus, death is defeated. And so because death is defeated, kindness should be a sign. Because it was the kindness of God that defeated death in the first place so that you can know what it means to have eternal life. Are you with me? Kindness is a sign in you that death lost its sting and the grave was swallowed up in the victory of Jesus Christ. You and I ought to be the kindest people on planet earth because you're alive. You're alive. Just like Peter presented her alive. Just like Jesus presented that little girl alive. You and I, hello, you're alive. And kindness is a sign that you are no longer dead in your trespasses and in your sins. But because of the kindness of God, he brought you back to life again. And death is just a temporary means to be with Jesus forever. I heard some amens from my home. Have you ever heard anybody say this or maybe you said it to your kids? Hey, look alive. Hey, look alive. You know what the church has been looking like the last, well, we'll say the last few months. Here's what the church has been looking like. The church has been looking like discouraged. The church has been looking divisive. The church, not, not just Market Street Church, but the, the church global church. It's been looking discouraged. It's been looking divisive. It's been looking contentious. It's been looking anxious. It's been looking angry. It's been looking bitter. It's been looking resentful. It's been looking that we've forgotten that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. It's been looking like that government and political position and our own opinions are more important than being the church. That's what it's been looking like. And it's time for us to be reminded that it's the kindness of God that brought us together and what should flow out of us, especially to each other, should be the kindness of God. 
So my plea for all of us here in this room is this. Kum, come alive. Come alive. Look like you're actually alive. It's not, I just look discouraged. I just look anxious. I just look bitter. I just look divisive. Look like you're actually alive. And a sign that death is defeated in you is simply kindness. The Apostle Paul wrote this. Now, you've got to know the context to this. This was written to a church in Rome. Rome, Roman Empire, Roman government, talk about freedoms being taken away. Talk about position on, you know, things that most people didn't agree with, and it caused division, it was divisive. Talk about, I mean, you, what's happening in this day and in this culture and with this pandemic, it doesn't pale in comparison to what was happening in that culture in that day. I mean, talk about freedoms removed, restrictions removed. You know, people couldn't, it, I mean, it was, I can't even articulate it well enough to say, man, they really felt like they were getting the raw end of the deal, especially if you were a Jewish person. Here's, or especially if you're a Christian, here's what Paul wrote to this church. Here's what he told them. Here's what he told them. Never pay back, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Not, not a Christian, not a, not a Jew, not a Roman, not a Greek, not a Gentile. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. And look, look what he says next. If possible, if possible, so far as it depends on you, I know it's not always possible, but here's what I know. Oftentimes, it can depend on you. Well, I can't, I can't say that it depends on them or what they think or what they believe or what their position is or what their point of view is. None, that's not the point. If possible, so far as it depends on you and you, this is the point where you look yourself in the mirror. Be at peace. With all men. As far as it depends on you, you be at peace with all men. Whether you agree or don't. Whether you believe it or don't. Whether you have, see that point of view or don't. As far as it depends on you, you be at peace with all men. That was what Paul continually wrote to these churches that felt like their freedoms were being taken from them. You know what happened to a group of people that didn't do that? That didn't take that advice? There was a war that was called the Jewish War. And it happened in AD 66. And it was a war that ended this way. What happened was is that there was a bunch of zealots, Jewish 
zealots that were tired of Rome and their restrictions and their, you know, stipulations and their freedoms being taken away, that these group of Jewish zealots decide that we're going to war against Rome. We're going to get our people together. We've had enough of this. We're tired of this. This is not real. This isn't happening. This is, this is ridiculous. I, I want my freedoms back. I'm tired of this. And they were going to get a group of people, and they were going to go against the Roman Empire. And so they did. And within four years, over a million, according to Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, he said that over a million Jews were killed and over 200,000 Jews were taken captive. And their children, this is history, their children were eaten. The temple was gone. The city of Jerusalem was finished. Paul said, I think we should take this approach. I think if it, so far as it depends on us, that we should be at peace with all men. I don't think the approach of fighting against this is the way to go. Paul said, I think the way to go is the way that Jesus would go. And that is to not pay back evil for evil. And as far as it depends on me, I'm just going to be at peace with all men. And because of that, this is so important, you need to know this. Because of that teaching and because of that way, the Roman Empire is no more. And Christianity is thriving. Because of that, that over time, over time, you know why that Rome went from an epicenter of Christian persecution, that today it's now the epicenter to Christianity? You know why that happened? It wasn't because Christians decide that we're going to get into a fight, that we're going to war over this. You know what they did? They just showed kindness. They just shared the gospel. They just loved people as much as Jesus loved them. And that's what changed a community. That's what changed a city. And that's what changed the world. Because kindness is a sign of people who are alive. And today, I'm presenting you and you at home alive. Act like it. Look alive, for crying out loud. <laughs> Look alive. And what will change the world and what has already changed the world is not divisiveness or point of view or opinion or battling and over ridiculous nonsenses or social media quarrels that we can hide behind. What changes the world is the gospel of Jesus. Yeah. 
That's what changes everything. And if it's up to you, if it's up to you, you be at peace. You be at peace with all men. And things will change. Things will change. Because of that, because of that, look what happens. Verse 42. Back to Acts 9. It became known all over Joppa and many believed in the Lord. Now, you're, you're saying to yourself, well, many believed in the Lord because they saw a resurrection. I, I get that. I get that. And I, I'm not here to say that God can't do miracles and does miracles, continually will do miracles. But here's, what, here's, the, here's the facts. I don't always see and you don't always see a resurrection. As a matter of fact, I can probably guess that every single person, at least sitting in this room and maybe watching online, has never seen a resurrection. Now, I'm never going to put a limit on God. I'm never going to say that God can't do that, but we've never seen it. Now, that result, that thing resulted in many believing, but what caused, this is so important, what continued the church to thrive and to grow was not based on anything supernatural. What caused that church to continue to grow and to mature as a church and to look alive was because of the kindness of those Jesus followers. And here's why we know this. Look what it says in the next verse. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. Now, remember, we're talking about Peter, right? Peter who walked on water. Peter who hung out with Jesus. Peter who preached to thousands and thousands came to know Jesus as their, as their Savior. Peter who was starting churches. You know what Peter could have done? Peter could have been a big hitter. Peter could have been a big-time shooter. And Peter could have blew into Joppa, brought up a resurrection, and then blew out of there. And you know what people in Joppa would have thought? That guy's awesome. Wow, that guy's the man. That guy's amazing. He's incredible. Peter's absolutely incredible. But that's not what Peter did. What Peter did is he, he stayed many days in Joppa. Why? Why did he do that? Because he wanted those many people who believed in Jesus, he wanted them to be discipled. He wanted them to be discipled. And kindness is substantial through discipleship. Now, our faith, our faith, this is so important, our faith, faith built on the supernatural, faith built on the supernatural alone is not sustainable. It's, it's just not. And Peter knew that. Peter said, yeah, something supernatural happened here, but let me just, I got, I'm gonna stay around, why? Because I want to, I want you to know the doctrinal proof and truth of God's word. I want you to understand who Jesus is and how Jesus lives and what Jesus looks like. And so J Peter stayed around, he stayed around. Faith built, faith built with discipleship is substantial. 
So Peter said, I need to disciple these people. Many people believed, but they need to, they need to be discipled. They need to be cared for. These people are now alive, but they, they don't know anything about God other than just this one random supernatural thing that, was, that happened and that what God did, and it was a real thing, but it wasn't sustainable. And so Peter stuck around. And kindness, kindness is when we decide that we're gonna stay in and connect with people and help them mature into fully devoted followers of Jesus. Kindness is when we come alongside of people and we say, hey, let's grow in Jesus together. Let's walk this out together. What does this look like? Hey, I don't know about you, but like Juan was talking about this, having this community. What would it look like if we decided to be a community of people who are alive in Christ that say, what should this season look like for us as a community of Jesus followers? What does it mean to see this culture and this perspective and what's happening in this world through the eyes of Jesus and as a Jesus follower, we need each other to do that. And the kindest thing that you can do for somebody else is to walk with a brother and walk with a sister through these days. And so that we can stay, this is so important, so that we can stay on the right track and see the world through the eyes of Jesus, not through our own perspective. Faith built with discipleship is substantial and it's substantial kindness that we exhibit, we exhibit to one another. Hey, we're alive. Act like it. And others need you to come alongside of them and to help them along. And to, and to care about them and to meet some needs and they're gonna do the same for you. But it's discipleship, that's substantial and that's a tremendous amount of kindness that we can show. That's what Peter exhibited. That's who Tabitha was. And that's what caused the church to continue to explode and to continue to thrive. That's what it did. That's what it did. As a matter of fact, Jesus said it this way. Can you skip to Matthew 8, 28? Jesus said it this way. He says, hey, listen, everybody, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Hey, all authority. I just want you to know that. That's what you need to know. Nothing happens on earth because I have all authority. I know it all. I have all authority over all of it. So nothing happens without it going through me first. Because so, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's a good perspective to have, don't you think? God, you know it. You're in control. You got it. I don't get it. I don't like it. But you got it. Okay. Then, then what does he say? Okay, for you, I want you to go, therefore, and do what? Make disciples. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. You, and, and somebody probably raised their hand. Wait, all nations? Like everybody, 
Like even the nations that don't like believe what we believe and agree with what we agree with or have a point of view that we have. And Jesus would say, yeah, I want you to go to all nations. And then baptize them. Why? Because that identifies them with me. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he says this. Look what he says. Look what he says. He says, teaching them, teaching them, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. I'm not going to leave you even to the end of the age. At that point, they're like, he ascends into heaven, and they're like, okay. So he has all the authority. Got it. He told us to go, and he wants us to make disciples, and he wants us to baptize them, and he wants us to teach them all that he commanded us. I don't remember everything that he commanded us to do. What do we do? I don't remember everything. I don't remember everything. Oh, and then somebody probably goes, oh, I know. He said, just remember this one thing. Oh, I re- oh he, said, he said, listen, if you can't remember everything, I just want you to remember this one simple thing. You remember it. John 13, right? Jesus said, oh, a new commitment I give to you, that, I, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Before there was a church building, before there was a Bible, before there were seats to sit in, before there was a room to gather in, Jesus said, I want you to be the church. I want you to be the church. Because the church is alive. And the church just loves one another. The church is just kind to one another. The church just cares for one another. The church just nurtures one another. Because that's the way that Jesus loved us. He says, by this, you know this, by this, All men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Before there was a building to go to, before there was a Bible to read, before there was a preacher to preach, they just knew to love one another. Love one another. That exploded the church. And it starts with a posture of saying, God, I'm humbling myself before you. And God, you give me the kindness that I need because this is where the power comes from. Father, the posture and the power of kindness comes by prayer. And through that kindness is a sign that we're alive. And I pray, God, that we wake up, that we come alive to the fact that we are simply your followers and your disciples. And God, we're not going to get caught up in the minutia, in the weeds of perspectives and biases and points of views and opinions. We just want to see the world through your eyes, the way that you saw it and the way that you would act and to do what you would do. 
And God, cities were turned, transformed, changed. Not because a group of Christians decided to go at war with each other, but because of a simple word called kindness. That's when things were radically changed. So, Father, I just pray that that's what we are as a local church, as Market Street Church, that we're just a church that is just known as being abounding in kindness. And they do it continually. And they do it to whoever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what citizen or what belief or what bias or what orientation or what belief or whatever. They just, they just show kindness. And they're abounding in it. I just pray that's what we are. It's what we are. It's what we are. Because we're alive. We're alive. And we're going to walk with people. And we're going to nurture people. And we're going to care for people. And we're going to meet needs. And we're going to teach what you commanded us to do. And we're going to just start with the basic one. The most important one. And we're just going to love one another in the same way, in the same way that you loved us. Thank you for that love. I pray that we exhibit that as we leave here, as we go about our lives, is that we are the church. We are the church. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, everybody. Have a great Sunday.